to the High Praises Church podcast. We hope you are blessed by today's sermon. Hey, earlier this week, there was a tiny, small little event that happened on Monday night called the College Football National Championship. And there's some <laughs> kind of well-known teams, the Alabama, Alabama Crimson Tide and the Clemson Tigers. And man, was that a good game. Let's go. Man, Clemson straight just whipped them. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that, but they did. It's done. I don't know. But they whipped them, man. That first quarter, they're going back and forth, and and you don't know who's going to take away. Then the second quarter, we're up, but you can't really feel comfortable being up three touchdowns on Alabama because they're Alabama. Then we come back from that second half, and we take it away. Let's go. The Dabo era is here to stay. I'm excited about that. Man, I love Clemson football. I love football in general. And just to be honest with you, I just love sports. I'm horrible at sports, but I love watching them. They're great. There's just something so special about sports. They're so special about sports teams. Because when you play sports and when you're on a team, you have the opportunity to represent someone or something greater than yourself. Man, Clemson, they were out there playing for their university playing for their city, playing for their fans. It wasn't all about one player. It was about the team. They gathered together representing someone greater than themselves. And you can see that on their uniforms. Like there's a reason that there's different colors. There's a reason that we have different logos and images stamped on their uniform because they place images to show that they represent something greater and bigger than themselves. Like check out this picture of Trevor Lawrence real quick. There he is, getting ready to probably throw another touchdown pass and run the score up. Uh, And you can see right here, look, he's got the orange and the white. That's Clemson's color. You know who he's representing. On his helmet, you've got that big tiger paw. Man, that image showing who he's playing for. In In the middle there, you've got that little tiger paw. To the left, you've got the ACC football. Man, he's just, he's not just playing for Clemson. He's playing for his conference, the ACC. And then you've got the Nike swoosh right there. I don't know that he's playing for them, but I mean, they made the jersey, so they deserve to have it on there. You know what I mean? Like, you've got the image showing who he is representing. Because in sports, you represent something bigger and something greater. But think about how weird it would be if Trevor Lawrence got it in his head that he's not about Clemson, that he's all about himself. And so he shows up to the national championship game with with some modifications to his jersey, and and he looks like this. (laughs) Check out this horrible Photoshop. I did in like five minutes in my office this week, okay? Like, I am not a Photoshop master, okay? Look what what he's done. He's taken the giant Clemson paw, and he's replaced it with like his sunshine face. You know what I mean? Just smiling right there. In the middle, he's he's replaced it. Then he's got the Nike swoosh on one side and the ACC, and they're just like button heads, just like just, just facing each other like that. Like, can you imagine how strange that would be if his jersey was about himself? And then in the post-game interview, they're like, so how'd you feel about the game? And he's like, man, it's just an honor to play for the Clemson Trevor Lawrences. I just love it. Like, you'd just be like, what's going on right now? Because that's not how teams are designed. We're designed, teams are designed not to represent themselves, but something greater than themselves. 
Here's the truth about humanity and about Christianity. You and I were created and designed to represent something and someone bigger and greater than ourselves. That we were created to, to show that it's not all about us. Actually, it's all about God. And the scriptures say that we were created in the image and the likeness of God. So just as you look at a jersey and there's the image of the tiger paw, there's the image of ACC on there, the image stamped on them to show who they represent. You and I have been created in an image to show that we don't represent ourselves, but someone bigger than ourselves named God. We were created with a specific design and purpose to reflect the image and the glory of God in this earth. And if we're going to ask ourselves the question, what is the church all about? We've got to take it to the first chapter of the, of the Bible and ask, who did God create humanity to be? He created us in his image. But here's the problem that I see today, that many of us, We've forgotten about God's image. We've forgotten about God's purpose for our lives. And we've wound up living life not reflecting God's image, but ourselves. We've forgotten who's God, who God has created us to be. And maybe you, you find yourself in this room today and, and you're a Christian and, and you're trying. I mean, you're trying to live for God, but there's this one sin and this one thing that you just can't shake. And finally, you said, I'm giving up all hope. I've been created. I am destined to be addicted, to be enslaved, to be bound by X, Y, Z. And I want to ask you the question today, did God create you to be enslaved to sin or did he create you to reflect his image? Many of us have forgotten that we've been called and purposed to reflect God's character and his mission on the earth. But instead, we get caught up in the nine to five. Go to work, see the family, spend the weekend at the lake and do it all again. And life is all about you and I. We forget that there's a world that's dying and desperately needs Jesus. But are we called to forget about our purpose of reflecting God's image and glory in the earth? Or are we called to something more? Scripture is going to tell us today. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to turn to Genesis chapter 1. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 through 31. And here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at that like really fast. We're going to kind of speed run through that. And that's going to lay the foundation for what we're talking about today. But then we're going to head on over to Genesis chapter 3. And that's where we're going to hang out the rest of the time. Does that sound good? That makes sense? Sweet. Here's, what hap here's what's happening in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. God has just gotten done creating everything. I mean, he's created the skies and the stars and the moon and the animals and land and sea and all of that. And so now he's, he's got one more thing to do, and that's to create humanity. And here's what he says. Then God said, let us make man in our image. This is the Holy Trinity speaking. Father, Son, and Spirit, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. We've been made in God's image and likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, 
over the birds of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, here's our mission, be fruitful and multiply, multiply. fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And I'm actually gonna skip down to verse 31. Then God saw everything that he had made, and indeed, it was very good. So the evening and the morning were the sixth day. So God's created everything, and finally, he's created humanity. And it's clear that, that we are something special, that we've been created with a, with a special and a unique purpose. Specifically, we've been made in the image and the likeness of God. Here's a good way to think about it. One of the main themes of the Bible and, and some scholars would say is the main theme of the Bible is the kingdom of God. In Matthew, Jesus shows up, and, and what message is he preaching? He says, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And so here, God is the king. He's calling the shots. He's creating everything, and he's making his kingdom. He's got the earth and the animals and the land and the sky. He's got everything, and then he makes you and I. And we are above the rest of creation, but below him. And it says that he makes us in his image and likeness. And here's what God is doing. God is invisible. You can't see him. You, you, you can't look directly at God unless he manifests himself in some way. But what he did is he created humanity to be the visible image of the invisible God on the earth that he would rule and reign in his kingdom through you and I. That if a UFO came from outer space and they looked at humanity, they wouldn't see us, they would see God. They would see him in, in, a, in a few different ways. We were created in God's image to reflect his holy character. We were called to be pure and righteous. We were never created for sin. To have love and have peace and to have unity, to, to work together, to never have pride or, or jealousy, to be humble, to be all of those things and reflect God's character. We were called to reflect God's work. See, he told Adam and Eve, leave the garden and subdue the earth. Take all of the animals and the earth and the resources I've given you and do something with them. God is a God who works. The scripture says that he worked uh, for the first six days, and on the seventh day, he rested. I want to tell you today that work is not a result of the fall or of sin. It's created by God, and it is very good. And so here's, here, here's some good news that as you head into the office or the job site tomorrow, have this mindset. God's created me to work and to produce. And though you may fully believe that your boss is an absolute moron, your boss did not create you to work, God did. So let's stick with the Apostle Paul and do all things as if we're working unto the Lord, all right? You can show up to the job site tomorrow and you might not be happy with him, but you know you're making God happy, all right? And finally, what does he say? He says, be fruitful and multiply. That we are called to, to reproduce and to have families and to be parents. God wanted us to create a bunch of humans that would populate the earth with his image, his glory, his character, and his work. So you are called to be a parent. Being a parent is a good thing. And that day where the three-year-old has knocked chocolate milk everywhere, 
And the other two boys have just punched each other in the face. And music is blaring. And, and the spouse doesn't get home for another eight hours. And you're on the verge of a meltdown. You have never looked more like Jesus, okay? Being fruitful and multiplying is a gift and a mandate from God, amen? So that's who we were created to be. That is the foundation of who we were called to be. We were called to reflect God's glory and character. We were called to do God's work. And we were called to be fruitful and to multiply. Now, let's head over to Genesis chapter 3 and see what happens. So Adam and Eve, they're hanging out in the garden and everything's good. And God told them, every, every tree in here and all the fruit of these trees, they're good. You can, you can eat of them. Everything is good except for this one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You are not supposed to eat of that tree. And so they're cool and they're chilling. But all of a sudden, the serpent, who we know to be Satan, comes up and he deceives them. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1, here's what happens. Now the serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said, you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were open, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to Adam and said to him, where are you? So he said, I heard your voice in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? Then the man said, the woman who you gave to be with me, she gave me of the tree and I hate. The husband's blaming it on the wife. Not much has changed, all right? Anyways, the woman said to the serpent, um, she, the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And we'll go ahead and stop right there. So here's what's going on. God's created us with the purpose of reflecting his character, of doing his work, and of, and, and of filling and populating the earth. And everything is good, but the serpent comes along, and here's what he does. He has to trick, he has to lie, he has to lie, he has to deceive. He says that he was crafty. Because everything that God has made is good. And the purpose that God had for us at the beginning of, the, of creation is good. So Satan had to kind of sell Adam and Eve on the idea that what God had made is not good. Watch what he does. He says, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? He gets them to doubt. Did God really say that you couldn't do that? Then he denies. He says, you will surely not die. And finally, he distorts. He says, God knows you're going to be just like him if you eat that. So Adam and Eve bought into a lie that they did not need to represent God's kingdom, but instead they could become their own gods just like him. Sin 
is the lie that you and I can become God too and make our own decisions and have our own control and do lives our way and everything is going to work out. We are sold on something, but the promise is that the problem is that it always under delivers. Adam and Eve found themselves guilty of sin, full of shame. They're blaming one another. They're hiding from God, running from his presence. What, what was promised to make them like God had them running from God and guilty before him. Sin always over promises and under delivers. Have, have any of y'all seen those commercials that's like the, the 1-800 number and then they're selling some sort of like household appliance? Like, you know, 1-800, get scammed out of your money. And there's this guy who's like smiling and he doesn't stop smiling for the whole commercial. And he's got one of those microphones that like comes from his ear down here. And he's like, hey guys, I can't wait to tell you about the super ninja samurai, master sensei, master splinter from Ninja Turtles blender today. And it's gonna be amazing. And you're gonna be able to put 300 bananas and 400 apples and blend them up and make 80 smoothies in 3.2 seconds. And then you're watching that and you're like, oh my gosh, my life is the worst unless I have that blender. Like they sell you on the idea that life is bad unless you have that product. Like life is the worst until you buy that. And they're just smiling and everybody seems so happy and it's just great. And you know, you're just thinking through all that, all the smoothies you're gonna make. You're gonna lose 30 pounds in 24 hours just eating smoothies all day. It's gonna be awesome. And he's like, call 1-800-GET-SCAMMED now and, and have three easy payments of $19.95 plus tax. And you're like, I gotta do it. And so so you call and you get the blender and it's great. I mean, the first three days you were just living on cloud nine. You're making smoothies left and right. Like you didn't even know you liked fruit and you're dumping it in there and everything's great and smoothies all day, every day. And life's awesome. And then two weeks later, the glamour has fallen off. And that ninja sensei samurai master splinter blender is in the back of some cabinet that you didn't even know was in your house never to be used again. You came to your senses and realized you hate fruit. You don't care about losing 30 pounds even this year. What were you thinking? And the only thing that you got out of that was three easy payments of 1995 plus tax freed from your bank account. Has anybody been there? Like I have done the same thing, made some purchases I regret. Sin always over promises and under delivers because it is based on a lie that representing yourself instead of God's kingdom is a better way. And here's the problem that we see is that the decision, the thing that Adam and Eve, that they thought would make them more like God ended up damaging the very thing that reflected him. When sin entered the world, we did not lose the image of God, but the image of God was damaged. It was broken. It was shattered. Imagine a, a full-length mirror, and you just take a sledgehammer to it. Like, there's still going to be some pieces up there. It's not fully gone, but it is damaged. It is nothing like it was before. And now, all of a sudden, because of that damage, humanity is unable to reflect the purity and the holiness and the righteousness of God that you and I were called to. And instead, 
The sad truth is we aren't reflecting God's kingdom and God's image. We're reflecting ours and Satan's. And now we try and live our lives as our own gods. But I want to tell you today, you were not created to be your own God. You can't handle it. You were not called to be your own provider. No matter how much money you make in the bank account, you won't get enough money to control every situation and, and stop all of life's cur- excuse me, curveballs. You won't be able to do it. You won't be able to control your wife and your kids and your family and your situation. You aren't sovereign and life will hit you and you can do nothing about it. You are incapable of setting your own standard of morality and rules and I'll just lie a little bit here and sleep around a little bit here and, 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 and get this substance a little bit here without wrecking and ruining your life. We make terrible gods. And before we can get to the purpose of the church, we've got to figure out what wasn't our purpose. And it's sin. And I'm afraid that we as Christians and, and we as the church, we've allowed ourselves to become desensitized to sin because it's the world we've always lived in. Nah, nah, that's just life. People are just that way. That's how it always is. When in reality, we should remember that we were not made to live in sin and brokenness. And for a moment, can I flip the switch and resensitize you to the brokenness of the world? You were not created to watch your family ripped apart by pride and jealousy and dysfunction. You were not created to grow up in that broken home where mom and dad hated each other. You were not created to give 20 years of your life to that substance and lose everything in the meantime. You weren't created for that. Maybe you find yourself in here and you don't follow Jesus, but you're here. You've got some questions that desperately needs answering. You're seeing the world the way that it is and, and you've experienced brokenness and sin in your life and you're going, is this all life is about? To live, get hurt, and die someday? I want to tell you, you weren't created for this. The brokenness and the hurt you've experienced were not in God's blueprints. You were never made to be hurt, to be sinned against, to be stabbed in the back by that friend, to have that relationship end in turmoil, turmoil, to be estranged from your mom or dad. You weren't made for this. But if we ended the sermon there, we would be left in despair and depression with no hope. But I've got some good news today. (laughs) There's good news. Look at verse 14. God goes to curse the serpent. Here's what he says. So the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all cattle, more than every beast of the field. On your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. Watch verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. God promises the serpent who is Satan, our enemy. 
It says, you and humanity, your offspring and her offspring are gonna butt heads. Y'all are not going to like each other, plural. But then he changes to the singular. He says, he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And here God is promising not a bunch of descendants who will crush Satan's head. He's just promising one. And we know that descendant, that offspring to be the God-man Jesus Christ who 2,000 years ago had his heel bruised. He hung on that cross. He suffered for hours. He died for our sins. He felt the sting of sin, but three days later, it was nothing but a bruise because he rose up out of that grave, defeating everything Satan had done to this world. He rid us of our guilt so that we're forgiven of our sins. He, he threw away the shame where we were running from God before. Now the spirit lives inside of our hearts. He threw away us running away from him. He eliminated death so that we believe in a bodily resurrection when Jesus comes back. He has undone everything Satan came to do. That's some good news today. Can we take a moment to appreciate the love of God? That in scripture, humanity brings sin into the world with all its brokenness. And it only took nine verses for God to declare a savior. That is the love of God right there. That as soon as we sin, he's got a plan for forgiveness. As soon as we mess up, he's saying, I'll send my son. I'll come die for you. Don't you worry, child, I'm coming. That's God's love today. So who is the church? We are not called to reflect our own image, but the image of God. And now that Jesus has come and he's defeated Satan, he's crushed his head, what is our purpose? Our purpose is none other than the purpose that God gave us when he created us. That is the church Today, we are called to bear the image of God's character and his glory in the earth. We are called to do God's work and complete his mission. And today, we are called to be fruitful and multiply. Here's what I love about Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24. It says this, But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind, and that you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. I love the way the ESV says says verse 4. It says, and to put on the new self, Created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. That now that Christ has come, he has come to recreate us in the image and the likeness of God in righteousness and holiness. I recently had um, my first Christmas with my wife and it was fantastic. 
It was so much fun. So, you know, we were getting the tree up and she's all about Christmas. So it's like two weeks before Thanksgiving. It's wild. Anyways, so like that was up and um, we've got all of our ornaments out and we're putting those up and having a good time. And so we have a star to put on the top of the tree. So I went and got a metal chair and put it next to the tree and climbed up on there and put the star on and it was super cute. And I got down and I I just sort of left the metal chair there. It, It didn't bother me. So I'm, I'm pulling out ornaments and there's this, this pair of ornaments that she has that's, that's Mickey Mouse and Minnie Mouse and they're baking. It's adorable. And so I go and I put Mickey up there and he's chilling and he's got his little pan or whatever he's got. And then I take Minnie and I put her on the tree. And then this is where the, the, the stories differ. Elizabeth would tell you that I knocked Minnie off. And I would tell you that Minnie just fell off on her own. I don't know, believe who you want. Anyways, Minnie falls off the chair, or falls off the tree, hits the chair, and bounces off. Thinking, oh no. So I go and I look over, and it happened. Minnie's head was separated from her body. I decapitated Minnie Mouse. Her kappa was detated from her head, like it was gone. Just laying there, like, oh my gosh. And she's like, what have you done? Like, as if I killed her dog or something. Like, I'm like, I don't, I'm sorry, I didn't do it. She's like, yes, you did. I'm like, no, I did it. And I'm like, okay, okay, we, we've got to do something. Because Minnie doesn't look like herself anymore. But she's broken, right? She cannot fulfill her purpose of hanging on the tree. So I'm like, I got to do something. So I pick her up and I'm like, I'm going to take her to work. So I walk into the office that day and I'm like, Surgeon Debbie Trammell, I need your help. So we go into the operating room and she gets a hot glue gun and she just starts pouring that hot glue gun where the head used to be and just puts the head of Minnie back on there. She's like, all right, the operation was successful. <laughs> she didn't actually say any of this. I'm making it all up. But, but he's, or Minnie's gonna need three days of rest. She didn't say that either, but she said he's gonna need some time for the glue to like, you know, cool and harden. So I bring Minnie into my office And over time, this broken Minnie, who's like, her head is off, her head becomes just back on her body, looking more and more and more like she originally was. And now, or then, she could go back and hang on the tree and fulfill her original purpose. See, Jesus came to defeat Satan, not to give us a new mission, but to repair the image of God that was broken inside of us to fulfill the mission he gave us at creation. That if Satan came, if sin came and took a sledgehammer to that mirror, Jesus has come and said, hold on, child, I'm gonna put you back together piece by piece. He starts picking it up. Let me give you some love right here. Let me give you some peace right here. Let me give you some joy right here, some faith right here, and and some peace. And, and, And day after day after day, it's a process. Jesus begins rebuilding you into the image of God that he created you to reflect. And if you find yourself in here today and you are struggling under sin and you desperately want to break free, my message to you is hold on. 
If God created you to live in true righteousness and holiness, Jesus will put you back together. I can't promise you a timeline. I can't promise you it's going to be instant. But look 10 years down the road and see all the pieces that have been put back together. Look at the mirror again and say, man, I look good. Because Jesus is going to recreate you in his image that he made you to be in the beginning. We have victory over sin through Jesus. But God did not just call us to reflect his holy character. He called us to do his work. Remember, he sent Adam and Eve out and he said, subdue the earth. This time our mission's just a little bit different because we're going up against an adversary, an enemy, the kingdom of darkness. And you and I have been called to do the work of God. But this time, it looks like doing good works. You were created in Christ Jesus to do good works, the scripture says. And now we are called to shine God's image forth through the things that we do. We are called to the work of love. That we should love one another that we should love our coworkers, that we should love the unlovable moron boss that you're seeing tomorrow. We are called to, to acts of service and of love to help other people to make a difference in our community. But here's the problem that the church has faced. We've grown so accustomed to the sinful world that we, that we have grown up in and we've forgotten our purpose to reflect God's image so we're too busy living life for ourselves instead of spreading God's kingdom. We're too busy in the nine to five. We're too busy going off on the weekends to do me. We're too, fit, too busy focused on my life and my money and what I can do and what's going to bring me pleasure when God has not called us to reflect our image but his. So let's do good works. And find that coworker that's struggling right now. Give him a gift card. Write him a handwritten note. Bring him a meal. Give them an act of love that says, here is the image of God. This is who my God is. He is love. Man, let's get involved in the community. God didn't tell Adam and Eve to stay in paradise. He said, go and subdue. And I think our problem is that many of us like to stay in the paradise of the four walls of high praises instead of serving our community like we've been called to do. Man, how are they going to see Jesus if we're trapped in here? Let's get involved in local nonprofits. Man, use your, your gift of cooking to help homeless people in need. Man, businessman, how can you leverage your business to help people who desperately need to see Jesus? How can you use your money or your resources or your product to go and to shine Christ in this world? We're called to good works, to do the work of God, to go and to do and to be. Finally, we've been called to be fruitful and multiply. God commissioned Adam and Eve, and he said, spread throughout the earth human beings made in my healthy whole image. And at the very end of Matthew, Jesus once again commissions his people, and he says, go, be fruitful and multiply. Therefore, make disciples of all nations. 
that we've got the same purpose as Adam and Eve did in chapter 1, to be fruitful and multiply people made in the image of God. And for a moment, would you think back from just a few moments ago where you talked about the brokenness of sin. Think about that marriage that almost ended. Think about the pain of someone's pride and jealousy. Think about the addiction you struggled with for years. Think about the broken family you grew up in. Think about the darkness and the sin and ask yourself, can I stand by and let Satan rule and reign or will I shine God's image in the earth? Can I stand by and let people live in the brokenness that I was once in or will I accept the call to be fruitful and multiply? If you've been here these past few weeks, past two weeks especially, you know God is up to something in this church. The Spirit has been working and moving. God has been speaking to us, saying that the time is now to build the church. And though God is faithful, you and I must be obedient. And we will only build this church on the backs of people who are willing to accept God's mission and God's original purpose for their lives. So if you would stand with me today, and everybody come down to the altar if you're physically able. I want us to end on this note. We've been fasting and praying this week for various things. Today's prayer point is the Great Commission. I believe, this is just my opinion, that we're truly in a turning point for our church. And it's time that we pray for and accept this mission more seriously than ever. Three nights this week, we've been gathering together at our prayer nights and having worship and and, and going after God and, and praying for him to move in our church for various different things. So this morning, for just a few moments, just a few minutes, I want us to recreate that. Thanks for listening. Be sure to join us Sunday mornings. Our service times are 9 o'clock and 1045. For more information, please visit us at highpraises.org.